Well, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning, and uh, man, I'm excited to be back in the Lord's house, amen? And uh, praise the Lord, yeah, I'm excited to be back in the Lord's house. There's a couple of you that are excited too. We might just have revival today, y'all get crazy, all right. Well, praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 3. And as you're turning this morning, I want to uh, say another welcome to uh, missionary, to our military and military prisons. If you missed Wednesday, it's like I always say, you missed it. Who was here Wednesday night? Am I, am I lying? You missed it. Uh, Lance, Brother Lance, would you just stand up and let us recognize you again this morning? Lance Hohen Street, missionary to the military, military prisons. And uh, I can tell you we were blessed on Wednesday night. So thank you, brother, for being here again today. I'd ask you to pray for his dear wife, Christy, and uh, daughter as they've been traveling. I guess they made it already uh, down to, uh, well, I, I think Virginia is great. But I guess they say the great state of Florida, they made it down there. Linda, don't say a word. I, listen, Virginia's for lovers. I don't know what Florida's for. Anyway, let's look at God's word. Revelation Chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and we've been uh, doing our study in the seven churches of Revelation. Notice what Jesus basically dictates to John here. Look at verse number 14. And Jesus uh, dictates and says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and beginning of the creation of God. I know that our works, that thou art neither cold or hot, I would that you would be cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, I counsel you, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, that thou may be as clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Notice verse number 19, he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. And then those familiar words that he said to each church, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is true, that your word is faithful. God, that we can come to your throne of grace where we might find not only grace but help in our time of need. Lord, I just pray that you would be with your message today, that you would use your words to speak to our hearts. Lord, that my thoughts, my words, and my actions be that which brings you the most honor and the most glory. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Christ, that today would be their day of salvation. God, I pray if they're watching online, the same thing, that if they... If they yet to enter into the greatest relationship of all, that today you would do that through the preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for the songs that we sang. The reminder that we can turn our eyes to you when this world is calling us and pressing us and pulling and pushing us to turn away from you. That we can turn our eyes back on you. 
and that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light and the glory of your face. Lord, we thank you for the other songs that we were able to sing and the reminder that you are still God and that you are good on the mountaintops and in the valleys. And so, Lord, I pray that today that you will have your will and your way in this place. God, I pray that you'll do what only you can do. And I pray this in the precious name of your Son and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, again, we're concluding our series on the seven churches of Revelation. And, and as we've gone through this study, you guys know that we've been using these letters to basically as a tool that you and I might be able to use to diagnose where we are individually, where we are as believers, where we are as a church. You see, as we look back in history, we're able to understand prophecy, not only from a prophetic point of view, but from a personal point of view. And so that's what we're doing. We're continuing. And truly, I just think that we really need to pay attention to this last letter. Amen? A lot of the stuff in a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the church in Philadelphia, and that was a great church to be preaching on. Excuse me when we started uh, having our services back here in the sanctuary, but today we're looking at a very, very different church. And the reason I think that we need to pay attention is because a lot of what we see that was taking place in this, this church of the Laodiceans is actually still at play today. It's actually still uh, very prevalent in many churches and many of the hearts of many believers around the world. And as we've just read, this church in Laodicea, they were lazy, they were apathetic. This was a church that was not only lazy and apathetic, they were indifferent. That word indifferent means that they just didn't care. I mean, have you ever been around somebody, and don't say oh my or oh me, but have you ever been around somebody when somebody gets saved and they're like, well, whatever. That's, that's called being indifferent. Like we don't care anymore when people get saved. We don't care when we send out missionaries. That's called being indifferent. And this is what was going on in Laodicea. And the church had basically closed the door on Jesus. Can you imagine? We open up the doors, we got greeters at the doors, and soon we'll see our first impression teams outside with signs, honk if you love Jesus and all that, and I'm so excited that we're back in the Lord's house, but can you imagine that we open up the doors to everybody, visitors, uh, guests, members, everybody that comes, we want anybody to come in, and, and, uh, and then we'd see Jesus coming up the steps and we'd lock the door. That's what was going on in Laodicea. They had shut him out. They had locked him out, if you please. And because of all these things, this church receives no kudos. Like if you remember many of the letters, Jesus starts with reminding them, hey, guys, you're doing good in this area, but I want to counsel you over here. This church receives no kudos. They receive no commendation, only common condemnation. In fact, if you guys show it up, it's been said that when God looks at apostasy, apostasy is the, uh, the abandonment or the renunciation, if you please, of a faith or a belief. He gets angry. It says when he looks at apostasy, he gets angry. But when he looks at apathy, this idea of no emotion, feeling indifferent, this, this lack of concern spiritually, he gets sick. That's what we find in this passage. And sadly, this is what Jesus was upset in Laodicea. The attitudes and the actions of this church sadly represent the spiritual condition of many people today. And you say, well, Pastor, I came today and I want a, I want a good, feel-good message. I want to know that I'm more than conqueror in Christ. You are. I want to know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He won't. I want to know all the good things of Scripture. I want to be reminded that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can still do that, amen? 
But you know what? I would be remiss if I didn't share with you the whole word of God. And so a lot of people, you've probably been thinking, man, oh, in fact, I noticed some people aren't here today. I'm guessing it's because they knew that we were going to be talking about Laodicea. They're like, nope, nope, ain't going to go there. I'm checking out. Nope, don't want to hear the message on Laodicea, so I'm just going to check out. Had a good time. Place was packed last week. Travis was talking about getting an alignment, doing big things, and getting your car lined. Laodicea? Uh, no, I, I, Pastor, I, I got this thing I got to do on Sunday. I got a thing I need to do on Sunday, too, but I rarely get to do it. Amen? <laughs> It's called swing that club at some point. I rarely get to do that. Oh, one day we'll get out there. Listen, we're living in a time, guys, look around. We're living in a time where right has become wrong. Wrong has become right. And you know what? You know what the body of Christ is doing? Man, that's terrible. Did you hear that on the news? Did you hear that they're talking about that moms are no longer moms? They're just a birthing person. Listen, I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful that she, she was more than just a birthing person. And listen, I hope that doesn't rub your fur the wrong way, but if it does, just turn that cat around. It'll be okay. Listen, we're living in a time where right has become wrong and wrong has become right. We're living in a time when the church of Jesus Christ has become indifferent. They've become apathetic. They've become lukewarm. And guess what? We have a beautiful new sanctuary. But God help us if we ever become materialistic. And I'm thankful for what God has done in this place. But Jesus gives no commendation to this church. And it's a warning to us today. And so with that being said, notice how Jesus describes, look at verse 14. Notice how Jesus describes himself. He, it says, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Notice, first of all, he calls himself the amen. Well, guess what? The word amen simply means so be it. When I say something from the word of God, guys, it's not Greg that's saying it. It's God that says it. Amen. That's the point. It means so be it. That's right. It, or, or here's another one. I'm in agreement with what was just said. I actually agree when you say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him uh, would have everlasting life. We all ought to be saying amen. Because guess what? Without Christ, we're lost. Without Christ, we're undone. Without Christ, there is no hope. He says, I'm the amen. You see, we seal our prayers. We, we might on occasion actually say amen to preaching. We might actually on occasion sing and say amen when we're singing. But Jesus is actually saying, guess what? I am the amen. I am the great I am. I'm not just saying amen. I'm putting my seal that says everything that I say is right. I am the amen is what he said. In other words, Jesus isn't just saying that he's the amen. He's reminding us that he's creator. He's sustainer. He's the one that holds the stars in their sockets. In fact, if we look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse number uh, 16 and 17, the Bible puts this way. It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things. Notice what it says, all things were created by him. And for him, look at verse number 17, and he is what? Before 
That means he's first. He's before all things and by him all things consist. He says, I'm the amen. But notice in verse 14, he also says that he's the faithful and true witness. Guys, in an age back then and even now where there are a lot of people, do you know that there are a lot of people that don't believe that there is a such thing as called absolute truth? Like, you know, like we go and tell people that Jesus loves you. No, brother, sister, that's your truth. That's not my truth. That's your truth. No, there is one who is the way, the life, and the truth. His name is Jesus, right? And his word is true and faithful. It means it can be trusted. But notice he also says, here's the greatest part, I think. He says he's the beginning of the creation of God. The word beginning means first in time, place, order, rank, and it refers to a source or an origin of a thing. And Jesus is saying, guess what? I'm the source. I'm the beginning, and I, not only am I the beginning, I'm the source of all that has been done. And since I created everything, and since I sustain everything, and since I hold everything together, I'm to be uno number one. Now, do you know that rubs our fur again the wrong way? You want to know why? Because we like being number one. And so did the church at Laodicea. They thought, man, look at us. Man, we got it going on. We, Jesus, thank you for all that you did. But we're going to ask you to go on down and visit the church down the street. They need your help. That's what we do. A lot of times, even in churchianity today. You notice I didn't say Christianity. I said churchianity. Well, what a lot of churches do, they get themselves propped up to the point, And then they say, nope, that's okay, Jesus. Go on down. The Methodist church needs your help. The Episcopalians need your help, Jesus. Oh, be careful of putting your finger on some other church. We're the ones that need help day in and day out. And he says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. In fact, if we were to go back to Colossians 1, if we read in verse number 18, the Bible goes on and says, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the, there's that word again, beginning the firstborn from the dead. And notice what he says, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. That's speaking of Jesus Christ, and the word preeminence means he's supposed to be number one. Is he number one in your heart and life today? You see, that's what he's saying to the church here in, of the Laodiceans. He's saying, hey guys, let me remind you, I, 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 you're not going to like this message. Jesus is writing to Laodicea, and, and John's probably like, really, is this what you want me to write? Okay, okay, okay. This is the letter you want me to send to this church? He says, yeah, they're not going to like it, but tell them that the amen is writing. Tell them that the faithful and true witness is writing. Tell them that the beginning of creation of God is writing them a letter. And this is what he has to say. And so notice what he says. What's wrong? Let's look at what's wrong. Verse 15 and 16, he says, I know your works. By the way, whether you know it or not, he knows the works of Battlefield Baptist Church. Without, listen, the Bible says faith without works is what? Dead. He knows our works, and sometimes we think our, think our works are all that. Listen, we don't work to be saved, but after we're saved, we ought to be serving the Lord with gladness. Oh, it's everybody's favorite thing to serve in the nursery. It's like the pastor says, serve the Lord with gladness. Who will work in the nursery? Who will go for me? Here am I, Lord, send me. Nobody ever says that when we ask for volunteers in the nursery. But this is the thing. It says, I know thy works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. First of all, that word spew is nasty. 
And we'll get there in a second. Just think about it for a second. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, in many translations, it says vomit. He says, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Making Jesus sick is what he says. Right away from this passage, we're reminded that these, the true danger being represented in this passage is not necessarily the atheist or the agnostic that doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe that, uh, that, uh, that uh, God can even be known. No, that's not the real danger, although that's a dangerous position to have. It's not the person that's completely against God. That's a dangerous position to have. But the real danger here is not the, the fully committed Christian, the one who's committed to being refreshing. You could look at this. Travis and I were talking about this the other day, whether it be cold or hot. You can look at it as an unbeliever. You can look at it as believers. But you could also look at this. Listen, somebody who's cold, who gives a cup of cold water in Jesus' name is refreshing. But this church was not a refreshing church. It's one who draws a warm water bath for somebody might be a bath of healing. No, this wasn't a church that was doing that. This was a church that was lukewarm. Notice the danger Jesus is addressing. It's a, it, he's addressing this lukewarm Christianity. It's the person who professes salvation, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. They profess that. But this is also the person who lives half in and half out of the world, who says, listen, uh, Jesus, I love you. Like, it's like this, on Sunday, man, I'm going to walk the straight and narrow, but then here comes Monday, and here comes Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and then by the time we get to the end of the week, we're like, we're, oh man, we got to get back up here, because pastor's going to tell us that we need to walk with the Lord. See, we got to be walking with the Lord every day, but this lukewarm Christianity causes us to be half in and half out of the world, saying and proclaiming one thing for God. And living a different way. It's the believer who claims Christianity. Watch this. This is going to hurt. It's the believer who claims Christianity only when it's convenient. That's what they were doing in Laodicea. And that's why we read it today. That's why it's been preserved in God's word as a, as a reminder to us. As a warning to us. As a challenge to us. Not to let those same things take place. And you say, well, was everybody like this? Well, obviously it was the whole church. Because look, look at the verse. Verse 15. Jesus is actually addressing the church of the Laodiceans. He says, I know thy works, all of your works. He doesn't commend one person for anything. You say, well, why? What? What's the problem? He says, I know that works. He says, you're cold or hot. What's the problem here with the, common, with the condemnation? Well, I believe that, first of all, a couple of things stand out to me. This church was a complacent church. They, were, they had become lukewarm and indifferent. God and the things that mattered to God had no long, have no longer become a priority. Let me ask you a question. In your heart of hearts, you know whether God and the things of God are a priority for you or whether they're just some kind of a, let me check it off, check mark. Yeah, like you said, checking it off on Sunday. I, I, I went and I worshiped, I sang a couple of songs and Saw that, yeah, good, thank you, Lord. I did what I needed to do. Oh, listen, this is what was going on in the church of Laodicea. They were a center for trade, commerce, and banking in Laodicea. It kind of sounds like the good old United States of America. A center for commerce, trade, and banking. In fact, we don't have Swiss banks. I mean, we're not Switzerland, but man, you look at what's going on. I would definitely say that uh, this country is a wealthy country. Would you agree? I think the poorest of the poor in this country would be surprised if they went all around the world and saw how the rest of the world lived. 
I believe that the middle class, the lower class, whatever, however you want to say it, lower class, middle class, upper class, uh, rich, whatever. By the way, there's only one class with Jesus. Sinner and saint. And the only way you get to saint is through Jesus. I think, we've, I think our eyes, some of you have been on mission trips with me. I encourage you to go out and go on mission trips when we have these opportunities. Go and see the way the rest of the world lives and then come back and just get on your knees and thank God for how abundantly we've been blessed. Oh, listen, we better never forget His benefits. But they were, they were, they were a complacent church. In fact, Laodicea was so wealthy, it was said that after an earthquake in A.D., I think it was A.D. 19, that the city of Laodicea, without any help from the Roman Empire, were able to completely rebuild the city because they were so wealthy. This is how wealthy they were. The people, though, had become so financially independent and comfortable that they had forgotten their desperate need for God in their lives. It sounds like the United States. When I listen to the radio and a 14-year-old girl makes more sense than a school board in Loudoun County, we're in trouble. Not that a 14-year-old girl can't make sense, but when she's making more sense than adults who are supposed to be serving the needs of the community, we're in trouble. Sorry if that offended you, but it's the truth. It's the truth. We're in trouble. I'm looking at this passage all week and I'm thinking, man, we are Laodicea. This country has become Laodicea. In our text, look in our text, it's pretty cool because Jesus uses their water system, oddly enough, to make his point spiritually. And, and he says, he talks about uh, that they're neither cold nor hot and uh, because they're lukewarm, that he'll spew them out of his mouth. And so he's actually alluding to their water system. And, and the reality is that the only downfall that this city had was that they had no water. In fact, historically, if you look at all the cities, remember we talked about how some of them were perched up on these mounds and they had high walls and they were protected and then some had cliffs that surrounded them that protect the city. If you know anything about Laodicea, there was nothing really splendid about this, this uh, area. In fact, they had no water. And so what they did, because the Romans were able to build aqueducts and pipelines, they actually piped water in to the city. And they got this water from the north, the, uh, the cold mineral springs, or uh, the cold mineral, or the hot mineral springs, excuse me, from the north from a, a city or town known as Hyapolis, Hyapolis, all right? And then from the southeast, there was another town that you've heard in scripture known as Coloss, we, the book of Colossians, the saints at Coloss. So they get the, the cold water from Colossus, they get the hot water from Hyapolis, but here's the thing, you got the aqueducts that are collecting the water and then the pipelines that are bringing the water into Laodicea. And so the problem is when you got it coming from the north, you got the hot water coming down and then you got the cold water coming from the southeast into the city. By the time it gets there, guess what? The cold water is what? The hot water is what? Jesus is using their water problem to speak of a spiritual condition. What he's saying, friends? Spiritually speaking, hot things need to be hot and cold things need to be cold. Anybody who knows me, and I was telling my wife, I put this in my notes the other day, anybody that knows me knows that I drink a cup of coffee. A lot of people say, man, you drink a lot of coffee. I really don't. I actually drink one cup, but I drink it throughout the day. And on average, I, I, I don't want to take a poll right now, but on average, you can ask the staff, I reheat that coffee probably every hour on the hour. I'll take a couple of sips and I go heat it up. And 
about lunchtime, my wife will say, that's so nasty. She's like, that's so nasty. That coffee's been sitting there since like 7 a.m. I was like, yeah, I just keep reheating it. You want to know why I heat it up? Because I don't want lukewarm coffee. I want it hot. I know some of you younger folks are like, uh, Pastor, you need to try iced coffee. Ugh. Ugh, Pastor. Oh, it's so cool, man. Get you some iced coffee. You know, that's why they have a thing called iced tea. Okay? Let me, let me help you out with it. I, I've tried the iced coffee. I remember, I remember Margie Natalie telling me one time, get the iced coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, I tried it. I was like, all right, I've done that. I've done that. Okay. I've lived. Now I've lived. Listen, I want my coffee hot. And you ask my wife. You, listen, my wife and mother-in-law, whew, they, they like a little tea with their ice. That's how cold they want their tea. Jesus is saying, guys, Cold things need to be cold, but hot things need to be hot, and you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, spiritually speaking, it makes me sick. And he says, because it's making me sick, here's the problem. You, you're, you've become satisfied spiritually with where you are. Like the cold waters come in, the hot waters come in, and no one likes it. But you guys have become satisfied with it. And that's what he's saying to them spiritually. You've become satisfied with, with doing your own thing, you become complacent or satisfied with checking the box. He says, I want you to be cold. I want you to be out. I don't want you to be lukewarm. No in-between. But this church wasn't only complacent. They were a compromising church. Look in the middle of verse 16. Well, in verse 15, he says, I know that works that they're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. But look at verse 16. He says, because... Because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. See, they were compromising. They had become a church that made Jesus want to gag. And let me ask you a question. How do you think churches become lukewarm? Anybody, how do you think churches become lukewarm? Travis, can you come up here? They, they seem to respond better when you ask questions. <laughs> Maybe I'm not asking the right question. What's your favorite thing? <laughs> right? You want to know, I believe that churches become lukewarm the same way this church in Laodicea did. You see what Laodicea did? They started allowing the world to creep in. A little bit of the world. A little more of the world. It's okay. We still look good. Look at us. A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. And then all of a sudden, spiritually speaking, they've compromised on a lot of things. It sounds like 2021. And listen, the world offers wisdom everywhere we turn. Every time I talk to somebody, they're telling me what the world has told them to do instead of what Jesus has told them to do. Now, let me just say this. I'm not anti-counseling, anti-therapy, or anti-any other thing of getting real help. But when the real help, watch what I'm doing, air quotes, when the real help always disregards what the Word of God has to say, we're in pro we, we got problems. When I'm listening more to what the world has to say than I am to what Jesus has to say, we've got problems. And that's what was going on in Laodicea. And, and I don't know about you guys, but it's shocking and sad, really. It's shocking and sad to me to see so many people who will listen to well-meaning professionals. Now listen, please don't take offense. But we'll listen to doctors, we'll listen to lawyers, we'll listen to psychologists, we'll listen to everybody. And yet when God says something, we're like, well, I'm not sure I go. I'm not sure I want to listen to God, but I'll listen to this person who tells me to do this, that, or the other. 
That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. And and by the way, remember, Jesus was speaking to believers. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's not speaking to people that don't believe him, that don't believe he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He's not speaking to those who don't have a relationship with. He's speaking to his church, believers. And he's saying, hold on, you've compromised. You've started listening more to what the world has to say than what I have to say. And guess what? I'm out here and I'm knocking. I'm saying, please, open up, let me in, let me in. It's an urgent knock. By the way, I don't think Jesus is just out there. Hey, what's up? Yoo-hoo. Let me in. I believe he's like, let me in. Let me in because not only have you become complacent, you've become a church that compromised on the things of God. Folks, we need to be careful about taking the bait of compromise. It's, it's like a fisher. Every man is drawn away and enticed of his own lust, James says. And sometimes we get lured like a fish in this world of compromise. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, in Romans 12. You know this passage well. In verse 1 and 2, he writes this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then in verse number 2, he says, and be not conformed. There it is, the compromise. He says, don't be compromised with the world. Don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I believe the problem would, the problems in many, many of our problems, not all of them, but many of the problems in our life, I believe, would cease if we look back at verse number one. Guys, can you put verse number one right there? It says, right there, present your bodies, right there. If we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, I believe a lot of our problems would go away. But the problem is we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, present our bodies for anything. We've gotten away in 2021, and listen, if this doesn't fit you, then that's okay, but it's good for our edification. It's like, are you attacking me, Pastor? No, I'm speaking to me too, all of us. We have to be careful. Taking the bait of compromise, again, this world and humanity are always seeking to conform us. They want us to conform. Listen, outside these doors, this world wants you and me to conform to its word, to its will, and to its ways, but guess what? Jesus says, no, you need to conform. You need to be transformed. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the way, in case you haven't heard this, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 that all, watch that, all. What does all mean? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I know I'm in a room of great theological thinkers, so thank you for teaching me. All still means all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, as old Bible college professor used to tell me, we have all missed the mark. You know, it's like he also said, if we aim at nothing, we hit it every time. Can I just say something lovingly? Whether you are red, yellow, black, brown, or white, you have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not because I said so, but because God said so. And here's a little thing. The world is now trying to convince me. I'm about ready this year. Man, I'm ready. I'm looking for double nickels this year. Anybody knows I'm excited about my 55th birthday. Man, I'm going to be ordering off the senior menu like it's my day job. I'm going to be like, what's up? Do I get $3 off of that meal? Same meal? Yes, indeed, I want that meal. I'm looking forward to, man, 55, whoo, man. 
In fact, I'm having my personal accountant look at our budget. I might be able to eat out another time or two over the year because of the senior discount. Y'all need to take advantage of that. Can I tell you this? The world is trying to convince us. Trying to convince me. If you haven't heard it, they're trying to convince me that I'm a worse sinner or a less of a sinner based on the pigment of my skin. That's a lie from the devil. God said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't buy into the lies. We got to get back to the book. We got to get back to reading what God says instead of what some politician or some other goofball says. Sorry, not all politicians are goofball, but 99.9% of them probably are. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry, it's ridiculous. When humanity's impact on us is greater than the Creator's impact on us, we got problems. That's why Romans chapter 3 and verse number 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. We cannot allow this world to influence us. The world's influence to cause us to be complacent or compromise what is right and true. Travis was talking about it last week. Our purpose, our purpose in this life as believers is not just simply to soak up the blessings of God. Our purpose as believers, our goal, our purpose, our, our opportunity, if you please, is to live according to God's will, to stay aligned with the Word of God and the will of God and the ways of God so that not only are we in a better position spiritually, but we can actually go out into this world and God will use our life to draw other peoples unto Himself. That's God's will for your life. That you and I would go forth and let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify not us but our Father which is in heaven. Jesus who is holy died to make us holy. And so if you and I have become complacent, if you and I have gotten to the point where we've started to allow this world to compromise our faith, where we've allowed it to compromise the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, then it's time for you and I to recommit ourselves to a life of consecration, which is what you were talking about last week. It's called sanctification. Friends, I don't know how other to put it, but we're living in that era, that age, that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy about in 2 Peter chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4. Guys, if you'll put that up. He says, he, he writes to Timothy. And he says, guys, Timothy, he says, guess what? There's going to come a time. He says, there's going to come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Oh, friends, lukewarm Christianity is when you and I as believers compromise our faith. It's when we stop being fervent in spirit and fervent in prayer. It's when we become too fearful to take a stand for God. It's when we become too fearful of sharing our faith because we're afraid that it might offend somebody. Question. Which hell do we want people to go to? And that, I'm not trying to be harsh. What are we afraid of? If they're unbelievers, if, if they reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you or me. They're rejecting the message that God loves them so much. That he has already paid an enormous sacrifice so that they could have a sweet relationship with him. That's all it is. 
You don't have to go out. I'm not saying go out of this place and be like, hardcore, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. No, people will think you're an idiot. I'm telling you to go out and to share the love and the truth of Jesus Christ with people. What do you have to lose? He says his word will never go out void. By the way, you don't have to be a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, or a theologian. You just go out and say, man, guess what? I don't know it all. Can I get you to talk with my pastor? All I need you to know is that I realize that I'm a sinner and my life's been changed. My life's been changed by Jesus and I don't know, I don't know it all, but I, I, I'm praying for you. Would you be willing to speak to someone at the church? Would you be willing to speak to my husband or my wife? Would you be willing to speak to somebody who's not fearful to share that message? Look at verse 17. Jesus says, because thou sayest. Not only were they complacent and compromising, he says, because you say. So see, you know what a lot of times we do? We like to talk. Some people will say, I'm not a much of a talker. But we do, we talk. And this is what he says. He says, because you guys are saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Because the word is out that you guys are talking. Because you guys are saying something. He says, because you say that you're rich and you're increased with goods. Because you have need of nothing. In other words, because you're so full of conceit. I got to do some things. You guys are talking about how great you are and all this stuff. And Jesus says, no. He says, you've become too independent. You've become too self-satisfied, too self-secure. Because your attitude is that you don't have need of anything. But notice in verse 17, he goes on. He says, you think one thing. He says, but what the truth is that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind. Oh, listen, the pride and arrogance had caused this church to forget the Lord. And folks, can I just tell you this lovingly? God is pretty serious about forgetting the Lord. He's pretty serious about forgetting Him, in other words. In fact, he, he wrote a whole passage, and we won't go over there for sake of time, but I encourage you to write it down. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 19. And he, he talks about them. Uh, go to verse 19 if you guys can. I'll just uh, conclude with verse number 19 if we can. Show verse number And it shall be, here's the culmination of it all. If thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify you against this day that you shall surely perish. Guess what? When we're filled with conceit, guess what kind of God we're following? It's called the God of self. It was, a, it was, it was something important to God then. It's important now. When he writes to the church of Laodicea, he says you're conceited. He, you remember in Revelation 2, 9, he writes the church in Smyrna and he says, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but then he puts in parentheses, he says, but thou art rich. You see, the church in Smyrna, materialistically, they were poorer than poor, but Jesus says eternally you're rich. Spiritually you're rich. But when he writes the church at Laodicea, materialistically speaking, they have everything. They have it all. And yet Jesus says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind and naked. Listen, these believers lacked power and they lacked the presence of God because they had become apathetic and complacent. Because they had allowed themselves to compromise on what they believed. And they were struggling with a little thing called pride. They thought they were all that in a bag of chips. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not all that in a bag of chips. But here's probably the worst thing. And before you start to write a theological statement back to me, I want you to consider this point. This church had become a Christless church. You say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. You said that he's writing to believers, so obviously they have Christ. Look at, look at what the Bible has to say. 
Look at verse number 19 and following. Verse number 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Notice verse 20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Here's the thing. Jesus is telling them in verse number 20, right here, he's telling them in verse number 20 that he's on the outside. He's looking in. He's on the outside. He's knocking. He's on the outside. As I said at the beginning of the message, he's on the outside. He's pleading with them to let them in. And ironically, the church existed because of him, by him, and for him. And yet they had locked him out. They had become a Christless church. They had been filled with their own complacency, their own compromise. They had been filled with their own conceit. They had been filled with the fact that they had said, you know what, Jesus, we don't need you here anymore. We get it, you died. We get it that you died for our sins, but we don't need you anymore. We got it from here. We've got our own leadership. We've got our own choir. We've got our own praise team. We got our own children's ministry. We got our own nursery. We don't need you anymore. Oh, my friends, that met, we, met, we better never say that. I'll get it out at some point. We better never say that. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you do a word study, Laodicea actually is a word that means the rights of the people. The people ruling. Isn't this what's happening in a lot of churches around the world? The rights of the people, the concerns of the people, the desires of the people have become the priority instead of Jesus. It's been like, hey, this is what we want. What about what God wants? I went to a graduation yesterday of a couple uh, of uh, uh, students over at the Christian school, and I was talking to the, the head of the Christian school there and, and whatnot, and uh, afterwards I went by, and there was a kid I didn't even know. I just stopped. He, he was, his, his little testimony was kind of neat. He had about 50 movie quotes in it, and I thought that was kind of neat that he strung along movie quote after movie quote in his thing. And so I was talking to him, and there was another gentleman that was talking to him at this time. And uh, I mentioned another person, and I said, uh, man, what a great musician. There was a girl who played the violin. I said, what a great musician. I said, man, she's going to the Army. Man, she could be used uh, with the United States Army Band or whatever. Uh, you know, she could really go far and this, that, and the other. And the guy says, no, I want her to do this, this, and this. I didn't say anything at the moment, but as I got in my car, I thought, what about what God wants? Sir, it's not about what you want for that young lady. By the way, she's not your daughter. She's not any kin to you. It really isn't about you. It's about what Jesus wants for her. And sometimes that's a hard sell for all of us with our kids. You know, I'm there. I'm there. You say, what are you talking about? I had dreams, you know. I had dreams, you know, think you always want your kids to do this or do this and become bigger and better and greater than you are, and I think they have. Might not look like what I thought, but they have. Oh, my friends, the church at Laodicea was putting their own thoughts, their own interests, their own needs ahead of God. And so what does Jesus say needs to be done? Look at verse number 18. we got to wrap up. He says in verse 18, I counsel thee. Uh, can I just lovingly say that everybody in this room, everybody watching needs counseling? Let me, ask you, let me ask you another question. Be honest. Are you offended that I just said you need counseling? Okay, good. At some point, you're like, well, I don't need counseling. You're the one that needs counseling. 
Okay, good. I need counseling. At least I admit it. I need a good dose of counseling. But can I challenge you? Again, I'm not anti-therapy, anti-counseling, all that. Please. This is the greatest counselor. I don't care what book, what author, what doctor, what, whatever, whatever they say. If they have anything to say that's of worth, it's because they're being influenced by the greatest counselor of all. And he says, look, in verse number 18, he says, I counsel thee. He says, I'm going to counsel you three ways. I'm going to counsel you concerning your values. He says, I counsel to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Listen, we all need counseling. And Jesus is saying, listen, you guys thought you're rich, but you're not. You guys think because you have money, you think because you have this, you think you because you have that, that you're where you need to be. But he says, guess what? It's not about what's in your pocketbook. It's about what's in your heart. And he says, if you want some true wealth, then you need to come to the only one who will be able to give you true wealth. And my name is Jesus. I am the great I am. I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I am the beginning of the creation of God. And if you want some good counsel, you need to buy it of me gold that was tried in the fire. And it's the exact same thing that he was saying over in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19 and following. When Jesus was saying, listen, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through to steal. Look at verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The reality is that just like the church at Laodicea had to come to grips with what they really valued, you and I must every day come to grips with what we really value. Do I really value Jesus? Do I really value his counsel? Do I really value that intimate, sweet, intimate relationship that I can walk with him and talk with him and know that he'll never leave me and that he'll never forsake me? Or do I not value that? And he says, I'm going to counsel you concerning your values. Quit being duped by the world. Quit falling for fool's gold and buy some real gold that's tried in the fire of me. He says, also, I want to counsel you concerning your virtue. Look, he says, I counsel you to buy of me this gold. But then he goes on, he says, so that you'll have white raiment, that you can be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness will not appear. Jesus is saying, guess what? You might think you look great, but you don't. You might think you're ready for a little fashion show, but you're not. Because guess what? I can see right through the clothing, spiritually speaking, that you're wearing. And it's not a good look. He says, so guess what? You need some clean garments. You need to clean up your garments. And so I want to speak to you concerning your virtue. Because guess what? Our righteousness without Jesus is like filthy rags, Isaiah says. If you have any virtue, it's because Jesus gave it to you. Krista, I have virtue because Jesus gave it to me. She said amen. As Christ's representatives, our virtue is seen in him, not us. Then he says, lastly, he says, I counsel thee. He says, this is a really cool one. He says, I counsel you concerning your vision. Look, he says, I counsel you to buy of me and to anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou may see. Spiritually speaking, these believers in this church had become temporarily blind 
They had become temporarily blind. They couldn't see that they were uh, complacent. They couldn't see that they were compromising. They didn't see that they were conceited. They didn't see that they had locked Christ out. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm the one knocking on the door. I'm the one that wants to come in. I'm the one that wants to have fellowship with you. And he says, if any man will open up, I'm going to come in and we're going to have a great dining feast together. And he says, by the way, also, if you let me in, he says, one day you're going to rule with me and I'll get there in a second. But here he's talking about their vision. You see, the reality is their lack of a good spiritual diet had led to their spiritual vision being affected. If we're not in the word of God, guess what? Our vision will be affected, spiritually speaking. Your focus will be affected. The priorities of your life will be affected. And these people in Laodicea could not see themselves. They couldn't see the Lord. They could not see anyone else. In, in, in fact, their, watch it, their little kingdom had become more important than God's kingdom. The irony of this, this last point is that Laodicea was known for developing, they had a, a, a product, a plant that was crushed to powder and it was used to make an eye salve, an ointment. So physically speaking, this area was known for having the ability to uh, manufacture a product that could help cure their physical eyesight and so it's very, the irony is thick. And Jesus says, listen, you're going to buy the gold of me, try it in a fire. I'm going to give you clothing so that you're going to be clean. I'm going to address not only your values and your virtue, but I'm going to address your spiritual vision. And he says, you need some of my ISAF. The stuff that you're producing might help you physically, but the ISAF that I produce helps you spiritually. And so that's what he's saying here in this verse. It's pretty cool. But notice his final appeal. In verse number 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Folks, Jesus rebukes and disciplines us for one reason and one reason only. Because he loves us. This message where everybody's like looking like, oh, are we ever going to get out of Laodicea? Yes, we are here in about two minutes. We're going to get out of Laodicea. But you want to know something? Jesus rebukes and chastens us through his word. Not through me, through his word. I'm not rebuking and chasing you. Jesus rebukes and chastens. And he says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Fun fact for you. The word zealous means to be hot. What was the problem? They were what? Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, hold on. He says, it's like last night, laying in bed. I started, I was like, I was, this is me. This is me sometimes. Pray for me. I was like complacent, compromising, conceited, crisis. I'm running through values, virtue, vision. And my wife says, what's the remedy? <laughs> she was like, cut to the, cut to the, what's the remedy? And I was like, uh, Jesus? <laughs> I'm like, uh, Jesus? She says, what's the remedy? I said, Jesus says, be zealous. He says, mean, he says, that word, it says, means to be hot or to have warmth of feeling for against something or someone. Apathetic, there is no feeling, there is no warmth, there is no concern. They're indifferent. And so he says, hey, you're lukewarm. He says, here's the remedy. Here's the prescription. Be zealous, get hot again. It's time to, it's time to turn up the heat. Battlefield, it's time to turn up the heat. I don't like the heat, Pastor. I like this air condition. 
It's time to turn up the heat, spiritually speaking. It's time to go out from this place and to love people the way Jesus loved them. It's time to go out from this place and look on people like Jesus looked on people with compassion. Oh, as we were, oh, as we were reminded from God's Word on Wednesday night, we better never forget the miracle. We never, must never become hardened when we think about the miracle of God's work. Oh, listen. Lukewarm Christianity is not something that pleases God. He wants us to heat things up. And the first thing necessary to heat it back up, you say, well, that's easy to say. Be hot, warm it up, we're going to get hot again. What do we do? Well, the first thing is to have a change of mind, to recognize where you're at, to recognize where I'm at. And if we say we have a change of mind, guys, that's the idea of repentance. That's where we say, you know what? I realize I'm not where I should be. I realize that I need to... By the way, you can't do this, but you know who can? I don't heat anything up. But as I present myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service, guess what? If I allow myself to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, guess who starts to do in the heating? It's not me that heats things up. It's Jesus. Verse number 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear, here it is. If you hear him today, he says, And open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And even as I overcame and sat down in my father in his throne, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Although these verses have been used time and time again in evangelism, this is not written to unbelievers. Although I certainly believe it can be used as an evangelistic tool. It wasn't written to unbelievers. This passage is written to the church, to believers, and Jesus is not only desiring sweet, intimate fellowship, he's reminding us that one day we'll rule with him, and so maybe you're a believer here today, and maybe you will be real honest and say, you know what, Pastor, I've become a little bit complacent. Maybe you're a believer today, and you say, you know what? I could see it as much as I hate it. I've compromised. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I struggle with a little bit of the pride ride. I've become a little conceited in my faith, thinking that I've arrived. Maybe, maybe it's not even that. Maybe you would just be honest between you and God, not with me, but with God, and say, you know what, I locked him out. He's on the outside. And I know he's knocking. I just haven't had time to open the door. I'm so busy. Kids just getting out of school. We're trying to get ready for vacation. My job's been crazy last year, coronavirus. I'm just back in, coming back out of pandemic. I'm just getting used to life again, Pastor. I, I know he's knocking. I know that I've shut him out, but Pastor, I, I, just, I just haven't opened up the door. Can I, can I beg you? Open the door right now. Right today. Don't go out of this place and say, I'll do it tomorrow, next week, because you won't. Because that old devil, he's slick. He seeks to destroy your life. He seeks to deceive you. He seeks to rule and to accuse you over and over again. Today, right now where you're here, if you know that's you, if you know that you fall into one of those categories, can I beg you, just quietly, softly under yourself, as we begin a song of invitation here in just a second, would you just ask God, 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 I need you to come in. I'm opening up the door. I'm opening up the door and I'm letting you come in. Now, we understand Jesus is the door. But in this passage, he says he can't get in until you open up. Remember, he's writing to believers. 
In fact, I saw a portrait that was painted. I was going to show it to you, but it was kind of dark, and I couldn't, couldn't really see it showing up really well. There's an artist years and years ago who painted a portrait of this one particular verse. You can look it up in, on, on the Internet. I'm sure you'll find them. It's a picture of Jesus standing at a door. And here's the thing. There's no knocker on the door, and there's no handle on the door. But it's a portrait of Jesus just knocking. Because you see, the handle is on the inside. And he says, I'm knocking. I'm begging you to let me to come in. And so I'm asking you today, if you're here, you're a believer, and you fall into one of these categories, would you open up the door and let him come in? And if you're here today and you say you've never opened up the door, you've never opened up your heart's door to believe in Christ as the Savior of your life, man, I'm begging you, open up and just invite him in. You know the Bible makes it pretty simple. It says, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a great promise. What a simple promise from God's word. That all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Believe that he is who he says he is. Recognize our sinfulness and say, Jesus, come in. Change me from the inside out. If you've never trusted him, I beg you to do that today as well. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the reminder of this church. This church who who had a value problem, this church who had virtue problems, this church who had vision problems, and Lord, that you've given us for a record to remind us of your remedy, that they might open up the door of their heart so that you could come back in and heat things back up. Lord, I pray that you will have your will in your way during this time of invitation. Lord, I recognize that in this past year and a half, there's got to be so many people that are hurting. There's got to be so many people that are struggling with their faith. God, I just pray that you would reach down right now. That you would break the hearts of those that need to be broken today. That men and women would recognize that they need to open up their heart's door and let you back in. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.